Welcome to another episode of Work Life Unbalanced, hosted by Jason Lichney, a branding and marketing expert, graphic artist, and entrepreneur, and Regino Romeo, Chief Human Resources Officer, HR Expert Witness, and Forbes Author. Whether your workplace is your true north or things are going south when it comes to work, it's always something. This show is brought to you by CPS HR Consulting and sponsored by LinkedIn Talent Solutions and Oracle Public Sector. I'm Josh Goldman with music from Matt Michaelis. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Regina. Today we have Mr. Jacques Whitfield with us today. Um, and we are talking about uh, what does DEI success look like in the workplace um, a year after COVID, year after uh, sort of the social quarantine. justice movement and quarantine and everything else um, that's been that's been happening. And and you know we've gone through a lot where there was a perspective of what. DEI looked like, diversity, equity, inclusion looked like. And that's sort of changed, right? And um, I guess, Jacques, take us back to where it was and what what was an ideal situation, say, five years ago, four, two years ago? Two years ago? Uh, <laughs> 18 months ago? Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. And, and, and what we'd like to do is kind of talk about how it's evolved and and where that's gone in particular with the perspective of like a local government type of a mindset so okay. you know where were we um a couple couple months ago and uh let's start there all right so all good questions first of all it's a pleasure to be back with two of my favorite people Yay. always have fun when i'm on this podcast so um yeah that those are a, those are great series of questions and so looking back before the world changed and changed again uh in the space of dei probably three to five years ago still an emphasis on compliance uh, very much an emphasis on the transactional nature of what we do in the HR space. So um, a lot of emphasis on training, a lot of emphasis from a risk management perspective of protecting the organizations from anti-discrimination lawsuits. Right. And Regina, our resident expert witness here, <laughs> right. you, you are you, the you goddess of this. You don't want to see me professionally, you just want to see me socially. Exactly. Right? So, so Jason, uh, tip, the typical structure in organizations, whether it's you know local government, um, to the Fortune 500, you were either embedded in the human resources department or you were embedded in legal affairs or the legal department. So if you were in the legal department, very uh, heavy emphasis on compliance um, and you know, just from a prophylactic measure, making sure that the organization does what it's supposed to do in terms of training and development to prevent any, um, any legal action. Uh, conversely, in the HR department, uh, again, transactional, looking at training and development, looking at EEO numbers, and just really staying between the 20s, if you will, and not really about making systemic change, making transformational change. Uh, so very much um, uh, that aspect. Of course, um, now, having said that, when you go back to uh, over a decade ago, 
uh, Harvard Business Review, and other thought leaders in the HR and DEI space were already giving their opinions as to what the ideal structure was. But that really came to light again when the world changed in the spring and summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. And now there are these uh, global calls for social justice, racial equity, things of that nature, and many organizations from local governments to the Fortune 500 found themselves flat-footed, and uh, uh, especially those um, organizations who were not a part of this uh, emerging transformational space. So what you have now is really an imp- uh, an emphasis on transformation, is uh, on an emphasis on creating really, truly creating, welcoming... A, a, a and real change. A, a, a real change. <laughs> yes. Welcoming an inclusive workspace. Right, because historically, you know, as an HR person, it was like, okay, well, you're just here to handle complaints. Um, if we have a discrimination complaint or, you know, whether it was a, an applicant or an employee or a former employee or whatever, so the, the look at diversity was usually strictly statistical, Um what are your demographics? How many people do you have that fit into this category, that category, and that? And then that was it. Right. And then everybody goes to their four hours of training, gets a certificate, and okay, thanks for coming by. Exactly. You know, and then that was it. So we never really, it was, it was never really pressed. It was never really embedded, you know, at anything that anybody was doing beyond transactions. Right. And you and I have talked about this before, Regina, but in the space of, you know, managing an HR office and looking at it through the lens of complaints. Mm-hmm. We were primarily concerned is, is it or is it not sexual harassment? Is it or is it not race discrimination? And when it wasn't, it's like, okay. <laughs> on to the can, next thing. On to the next thing. And you but never really were, addressed the behavior. Exa- yeah. Never, yeah. never. Um, and that has certainly changed, Jason, particularly in light of the events of the spring and summer of 2020. The, the thing that came to mind as you guys were talking is kind of this this flip, the uh, maybe – a switch that flipped from like a defensive perspective to mm-hmm. maybe an offense type mm-hmm. of a perspective mm-hmm. where it's like in the past, it's about mitigating risk and, uh, and just kind of, like you said, is this discrimination or not discrimination or, you know, do we have the number we want or do we not have the number we right. want? Right. And to more of, are we, you know, are we building an atmosphere for organizational success through difference and perspectives and thoughts and feelings and and, ideas and and, yeah and everything right right. and And I think that's where it 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 would end you know it would just be like oh well we hired this person this person and this person and not really take any of those things you just mentioned into account absolutely and and like you're saying we've gone from reactive to responsive and proactive and preventative and the latter are much more transformational the former is very transactional Mm -hmm. So as as things have kind of shifted and moved from, you know, where it was, um, what type of, you know, what, what are organizations doing right now to kind of make that move and, and, and pull themselves into this more uh, offense-based or we want we want to proactive. put some points, <laughs> points on the board. Preventative space. Right. Yeah. And how, where, where are, what are they doing right now to accomplish that? Um, what are you, how are you helping organizations to get there? And uh, kind of talk to me a little bit about, about Sure. That. Absolutely. So uh, we can tell you. So let's start with high-performing organizations. What high-performing organizations are doing, first and foremost, is their homework. They are not taking action 
immediately. They are being thoughtful. They are being deliberative. And they're working with organizations like us at CPSHR to really do an assessment to figure out exactly where they are. Um, you know, you can't shoot a target you can't see, right? And so this is really about fine-tuning those targets, having those conversations. And Regina, I know you, you've been mm-hmm. really active in this space in mm-hmm. terms of meeting with clients right. and having all of the... Let's uh, have a longer conversation. Longer com- <laughs> and let's not act Let's not yet. jump into anything, because I think that's where a lot of organizations go wrong, because there's so much focus, and it's like, oh, we got to do something. And then that's how you end up having huge missteps with, exactly. your, with your customers, with your employees, with the people that you serve, because you're not being strategic. So it's very easy to do something and you know but if 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 the heart isn't in it if it hasn't been thought out people are just going to think it's performative and they're just going to be like oh okay so you know you adjusted your workforce statistics by two percent or you put out a message you know for black history month or something like that and it's like um okay but what are you really doing you know because even thinking about it in terms of risk the EEO position and the, just thinking of DEI and EEO as the same thing is where a lot of places go wrong exactly. because it's like, okay, calling that diver- diversity and EEO are not the same thing. And really to me, just even EEO officer kind of went out with leg warmers, you yeah. know, it's just kind of like really like a dated <laughs> concept where it's like, okay, well, if this person has a complaint, you know, the poster that you have to post, we have to make sure that that's kept up to date and those types of things, but they're dealing with things post action. Right. So what we would like to see and what, what I talk to our clients about is let's put something in place to, so you don't even have to get to that point where you have this, you know, groundswell of complaints that you're having conversations that are more thoughtful that lead to better behavior, better action, better understanding before we get to the lawsuit, before we get Absolutely. to, you know, some type Absolutely. of administrative action that we have to take. And I'll tell you one of my, uh, you know, having done lots of transformational coaching, one of my favorite questions, Jason, to ask is what am I pretending not to know? So when we're meeting with those senior leaders and we're of uh, local governments or uh, larger organi- larger governmental organizations and we're asking yeah, we're doing the assessment. I think that's a really good uh, true north like guiding principle. What am I what are you pretending not to know? Because clearly the status quo is not effective. And if you notice there's a lot of hesitance and uh, um, resistance about moving away from the status quo. Uh, that's when, Regina, I believe the, mm-hmm. the, the, the conversations that we do are really important, really just as um, a, a grounding resource for the agency itself to figure out where it is, what are the points of hesitation and resistance right. and why. Um, people say, oh, yeah, we want change, we want change. But a lot of the change that we've seen, at least prior to 2020, has been cosmetic. Look, we now have a brown person who is in this position, and so problem solved, right? right. Because our everybody you know, go back to your desk. Exactly. Yeah. We, we've we, done it. We're, we now return to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> right. And what right. we're finding in 2020 and beyond that that's just not effective. And in order to change, isn't change until it's change, um, and that requires. Uh, that requires energy, that requires movement, that requires doing things differently, and uh, a departure of the status quo. And it's helpful um, in much the same way that when we're doing our learning and education modules that we adopt a new language. And it's not about good or bad or right or wrong, but it really is what is more effective in 
line with meeting the mission, vision, scope of my organization Mm -hmm. and really helping organizations uh, embrace a new mindset and a new way of being and a new way of speaking, a new language to connect with these um, new goals and new aspirations for that organization. So as we, you know, hit kind of this new era, I guess, era and structure and, and all of this, um, Jacques, you were mentioning to me earlier, you know, the, the position level for, um, the, the person in charge of diversity is kind of changing, right. From, from more internal focus to perhaps looking externally as well and having just, again, a shift in mindset from that perspective, um, local governments, you know, a lot of times they don't think about customers, but they all have customers, Absolutely. right? right. Absolutely. Um, Taxpayers are customers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whether Constituents, communities, yeah. all Absolutely. that good stuff. W- whatever you're doing, you're doing for someone, right? right? And and so having that mindset of, you know, how am I projecting diversity, equity, inclusion externally to the taxpayers and branding my organization uh, as an inclusive organization, um, as well as internally to employees, how does how does that thought or that perspective change where that person in charge of diversity for an organization sits in that in that organization or or within the hierarchy um, of that organization? So, a uh, great question, and this we found has been uh, very very interesting interesting experience in working with government <laughs> agencies because it, yes. yeah i mean it immediately you look at all this you know supporters of the status quo because people are like well it's 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 hr is doing the work right and it's like all right so this requires um its own set of learning and education mm-hmm. parameters because and what i'd like to say is uh the perspective has grown from internal to now it's global because it's internal and external, as you pointed out. And when you're you're now looking at uh, everything through the lens of equity, like what about my not just uh, recruitment and onboarding and selection and performance management because that's people, but how what is what does my procurement processes look like if I am you know dealing in the public? Am I dealing uh, with all? members of the public in an equitable manner uh, is it, how much of my uh, response to the public is driven by what zip code what are mm-hmm. my socioeconomics mm-hmm. you know all of those issues so now that the, the great opportunity is now we get to look at everything, everything through a lens of equity and because we're now looking at everything and we are being global and strategic that is going to directly impact where this position is housed when we were looking only internal and when we were purely transactional, you know, yes, HR right. or legal Recruit affairs, and, and exactly, because know. that's where the focus of attention is. Now, with the uh, with the whole focus being global, we're looking at everything you need, and and this position really gets to be a business partner mm-hmm. with every other division of that governmental entity. We now get to. Uh, appropriately create a position that has that global scope and focus. And I think that's part of the the evolution of of understanding what what conversations we need to have Absolutely. around diversity. Absolutely. Because I think of, you know, my 
experience in human resources and everything. And even back in the day, human resources was like, oh, you guys are just, you know, paper pushers and doing whatever. And it's only been, you know, over the last few years where it's like, oh, wait, you know, chief HR officer didn't even exist. So just understanding what that role is in an organization, how important those connections are with people in business. And it's the same thing with a diversity officer. If you have it embedded, you know, 10 levels down in your organization where they have to report to somebody who reports to somebody who reports to somebody, it just kind of loses its steam, you know, and there's employees not enough, see right. That. You know, and there's not enough horsepower behind it. Exactly. So when you have these groups of employees that are coming forward and saying, okay, well, we would like to see this, this, and this, it just becomes so muddled exactly. that, you know, nothing ever gets done. And right. then when it is at a critical mass, let's say, you know, when there are complaints coming in or something like that, you're solely focused on resolving that complaint, but it doesn't resolve the bigger issues. Exactly. Exactly. So what we're seeing now, Jason, is these uh, CDO positions, uh, the best practice is that they report directly to the chief executive of the organization, that they have access to the senior leadership team. They're advising at that level also and 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 recommending. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. they are an equal business partner with all the other uh, business divisions within the organization. In HR, we, I mean, I have 47 other things that I'm doing in a day. And if we're really talking about really making change, I don't want that muddled in with, you know, payroll and open enrollment and onboarding. (laughs) Evaluations. It's like, wait, isn't Jason still on disability? Is he coming back to work to, you know, return to work stuff and all this other stuff? Because it is so important. It's just another facet of how an organization cares for its employees. Absolutely. I, I think about, you know, I keep, running in my head, you know, police and fire, um, particularly in, in local government. And I know like a lot of police departments have tremendous amount of outreach for, you know, a diverse, uh, police force. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then at the same time, you know, when, when all of this, this stuff is going on, social unrest and, you know, obviously there are bad cops out there. Um, that's being promoted, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's in, and you think about where that, that person in charge of diversity is. And it's almost like a very a microcosm of you, you potentially have the right people, uh, the right diversity in the seats mm-hmm. hired, but There's the over, but the overarching, <laughs> the overarching, you know, the secondary of addressing, uh, the people in the community and communicating mm-hmm. the fact that your police force is diverse, right? right. And and right. so there's there's a there's a gap there, right, between right. even the self promotion of the diversity. When I think a lot of police departments do a pretty good job mm-hmm. of of having a lot of people that are a diverse backgrounds, but then you know the community as a whole doesn't. They don't see. They that. don't see it, right. and they right. don't recognize right. it, and they don't. You know, they don't celebrate that. And I think that's I think a lot of that comes because when we talk about what our expectations are for, you know, public safety, really any public service, whether it's the library or parks and rec or whatever, we don't think about it in a proactive sense. Again, you know, because even with public safety agencies, 
the, the conversations are happening, you know, there's stuff happening all the time, but is that being promoted? Is that what's out there? Because we live and die with social media, you know, Absolutely. so everything that gets thrown out there, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe whether it's, you know, teachers that are doing certain things. Um, there was another incident with a teacher online this week, which we won't get into. Um, schools, which, you know, Jacques and I Absolutely. just had uh, conversations with, with one of our clients, but being, but that's, I think, a part of that chief diversity officer is sure. understanding what you want to promote sure. about your organization. Because as a public servant, whether you're a policeman, a fireman or whatever, you're going to get beat up all the time, <laughs> you know, because it's like, well, where are my tax dollars going? And I pay your salary and this, that and the other. OK, so organizations, when we talk about embedding diversity and having those conversations, a part of what that chief diversity officer does is to be concerned with the public's perception Absolutely. and your public image and how you're putting yourself out there, because you're going to get enough detractors sure. on any given day, right. you know, regardless of what public service you're offering. But are we really also promoting the fact that, you know, we do certain things for our community, communities that may not have been um, seen, you know, historically Absolutely. and celebrate those things in a positive way Absolutely. versus, you know, well, we're just coming in to, you know, talk about something negative or something bad, but really changing the conversations around what we think about when we think about diversity. Sure. So when we, and, and Regina, you had just mentioned this earlier in terms of one of the benefits of having this global perspective, mm -hmm. Jason, that you asked about in terms of this shift so, and when you're looking specifically at public safety, having this shift to the global strategic vision actually supports public agent public agencies and uh, the public uh, public safety specifically because mm -hmm. now you have one vision, one global vision, and one global voice. Right. When it was back in the you know prior to the summer of uh, 2020. Uh, when uh, DEI was embedded right. either in the olden uh, days of 2019, right, right. And, and, and HR or in you know legal affairs, you're at war with yourself because when you have an in a public incident that happened, you know, and you're hidden under HR, HR may not necessarily be able to respond right. because we're several layers deep, as opposed to being at the city manager level or county executive level, where you could have that global perspective and global vision to be able to offer support. Mm -hmm. So you're speaking immediately, both, immediately, right. both to the community, uh, both to the taxpayers and also to the department itself. Right. Because a lot of times what happens is when there's the let's say the response that has to happen, if you have that person, like I said, you know, 10, 12 levels down, they're not going to be your first phone right. call. And that person may not even be strictly doing diversity. <laughs> they're like, you know, exactly. very doing 47, you know, other things. So it's just, I think, important when we talk about the levels, you talk about the structure is to understand that level of communication that needs to happen on an ongoing basis, Absolutely. not just when there's something that, you know, they need to not just legal and react, right. You know, yeah. where it's just like, Oh my gosh, we're on the front page again. You know, what right. are we going to do? And the legal response is always going to be either no comment, no comment. or it's something that's not <laughs> right. politically. It's not going it, to satisfy, not gonna satisfy no, the no. community because it may be defensive in nature right. and their scope. They're, they're looking at, um, you know, lawsuits and, you know, actual right. being in court as opposed right. to and everything is not a legal battle it doesn't have to escalate Absolutely. to that you know i mean don't get me wrong i stay busy you know, i'm an expert <laughs> witness but at the same time it's just kind of like wouldn't it be nice if we just had a talk about this before because every Absolutely. i would say that 95 percent of the cases that i've handled um you know over the last 10 years 
if, if there would have been a little more conversation, a little more activity, then then we wouldn't we would never be there. But I think that's definitely what's been there's. Don't get me wrong. There's, you know, times when it's like, oh, girl, you know, what just happened? <laughs> but a lot of it is just, you know, listening, being proactive and being, you know, thoughtful and deliberate in your actions that are equitable and Absolutely. equitable. Well, thank you guys very much for a fantastic conversation. Jacques, we're going to be talking um, in the next uh, podcast episode a little bit about ERGs. So cool. if um, if you are on this uh, DEI bandwagon with us, um, take, take a listen to... Uh, I think of it as a tour bus. Like, like a Hollywood <laughs> tour DEI bus? DEI tour yeah. bus, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so take take a listen to, to our coast. to our next uh, podcast as well about ERGs. We're going to talk about how they how they fit within um, the desired org structure. Awesome. So looking forward to that discussion. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And that's a wrap on another cool. episode of Work Life Non Balance. To learn more about our show and our host or sponsors, visit wlubradio.com. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All shows are produced by Jason Lichney and Regina Romeo and are recorded in the CPS HR Consulting Studio in beautiful Sacramento, California. All music is written and performed by Matt Michaelis. Check out all his music at mattmichaelismusic.com on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download music. Until next time, I'm Josh Goldman. Thanks for tuning in.